right, we're going to be in the, the, the book of Genesis this morning. If you brought your Bible with you, we're going to be in the first chapter. So it's real easy to find. All right, so cover, title page, table of contents, Genesis 1. All right. It's also going to be on the screen behind me here. If you want to um, follow along, you're welcome to. You can also just close your eyes and let the word of the Lord wash over you. And here we go together, all right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there is evening, and there is morning the first day. I also want to read to you from Genesis chapter 2. I'm starting with verse 4, all right? So, so listen to this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, the trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen. Um, y'all, I cannot wait for my children to start like real science classes, for us to be able to, to talk about these things. Uh, there's a lot in their education that I will not be able to help them with. Actually, the majority of it. I can't do math. If they uh, come to me with spelling homework, I got a straight up F on my report card in the sixth grade in spelling. That's why I thank God for spell check. And even more, there's this new computer program called Grammarly. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a lifesaver. If I didn't use Grammarly, y'all would get emails from me whenever I actually do respond to emails. And it, they would have so many comma splices and run-on sentences. You would wonder if your pastor even went to grade school. Um, but when August and Bradshaw and Wyatt, when they get to, uh, to their science classes, I'm ready and willing to help. I cannot wait to be there because, I mean, I guess also if they ever take like a religion or a Bible class, I could help with that. Um, I, I, have, I have a couple of degrees in those things, but I figure by the time they start learning about that, they'll have heard me talk about it enough that they'll probably want to go to somebody else anyway. But when they come to science, I, I'm ready and willing. I'm there because I always loved science. I loved my earth science class where we learned about the rocks and the clouds, and the cumulus nimbus, you know, the different sediments. I loved biology and anatomy, where we learned about how the, the body works. Um, but what I, I then loved and am still most fascinated with today are the parts of science where we are pushing the boundaries of what we know. 
For example, did you know that there are over 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe? We barely know anything about the one that we are in, but there are more than 100 and billion more. 100 billion more. Now think about how big that is. Our one galaxy can contain uh, billions, maybe even trillion stars. And that's just one. And there are 100 billion of those. Our sun seems so massive and so permanent and so immovable, but it's just a tiny little ball compared to some of the suns that are out there in other galaxies. Did you know um, that the smallest observable part of existence is subatomic, meaning it's smaller than atoms? These smallest subatomic particles are called quants, and in the part of the existence where these particles live is, is called the quantum realm. Some strange things happen in the quantum realm, and I don't just mean bad Marvel movies about Ant-Man. I mean strange things like the fact that scientists have observed objects in the quantum realm that can exist in two places at one time. How great would that be? Are we always saying, like, I can't be in two places at once? But you can in the quantum realm. Not only that, they have observed objects that can be in one place and then be in another and never travel the distance between the two places. They call it quantum teleportation, like the stuff from science fiction shows and movies. How great would that be too, right? Just be like, oh, I can be at the softball game and then at the violin lessons and never travel the distance between? Never have to be in traffic on airport boulevard? This sounds terrific. Let's get the quantum realm up here to where we all live. That's a real part of our reality. We just don't happen to inhabit that realm. Also, did you know that the, uh, uh, the most prevalent thing in the entire universe looks like nothing? It's called dark matter. And if you put all the matter that we can see in the universe with all the dark matter, it would be like looking at the amount of water that covers the earth compared to the amount of land, but only if you shrunk the land by half. There's so much more dark matter than there are things that are observable. And so that means that the thing that there's more of in existence than anything else is something we can't even see. I love this stuff. I mean, you can give me a Netflix documentary with, uh, with, 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 with about science and space and black holes. I, I, here's one more. Did you know that in that smallest, most observable, uh, the thing we can observe in the smallest versions of our universe, this quantum area, there's particles that can exist in more than one fixed state. And there's this thing in quantum mechanics called uh, the wave-particle duality. It's amazing. Where uh, electrons and photons can be both waves and particles. They can be two things at once, which doesn't make a lot of sense, right? It's a thing is either this or that. It can't be both, right? It's, it's either a building or a sandwich. It's not both. I'm either a human or a Teletubby. I can't be both, right? I don't think I'm a Teletubby. Are those still on? My kids don't watch those. You go down to Dolphin Island, you see a wave. It looks like a wave. You see a soccer ball, it looks like a sphere. But in the smallest observable part of our actual reality, in the world where we live, there are photons that can look like a wave and a sphere, and behave like both. The best thing about all of this, about all this science stuff, about the bigness of space and the, the smallness 
of quantum mechanics, the large things that can't be observed and the tiny things we are just now discovering is that God made it all and God cares about all of it. We're in the second week of our new series uh, called Non-Negotiables, where we're talking through some of the foundations of our faith. And uh, for this series, as we journey through these foundational elements, we're using the Apostles' Creed as our guide. The Apostles' Creed is a very ancient version of, uh, of affirmation, a thing that we used to say, we believe these things. And we say in the traditional service all the time, we say in the contemporary service some. But we are, are showing and working through these six weeks how the Apostles' Creed um, tells us things about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and why these beliefs for us as Christians are things that we will not compromise on. These are things that will not change about our faith. These are foundational. They are core. They are the bedrock of what we believe. Last week, we started with the reality um, that we believe in God. Boom. That's the, I know it sounds like super revelatory, right? But that's the base of it. We believe in God who is almighty over all and in all and through all. And this morning, as we continue thinking about God the Father, we are considering what it means for God to have created the heavens and the earth. There are a thousand different directions we could go with this idea of God the creator. Um, but I want, for the sake of this sermon, for you to remember uh, two things about God. Commit this phrase to your memory for the rest of the sermon. Um, God is imminent and God is intimate. God is imminent and intimate, big and small, far and near. And to, to understand what I mean, let's look back at our, our stories we just read about, uh, about creation from Genesis, okay? Um, if, you, if you read back in Genesis 1 and 2, we're actually reading two different accounts of how creation happened. Two, these two chapters in Genesis um, were written by two separate traditions of the Jewish faith at very different times in Israelite history. The people who compiled the Bible decided they wanted to preserve the entirety of their faith tradition of what they inherited. And so they didn't pick and choose one over the other. They decided to keep them both together. They kept the stories about how God brought the heavens and the earth according to those who told them. And so let's look at the first one from Genesis 1. We have a very orderly account here of what God did in the creating. It's almost like poetry with its cadence and its stanzas. There's a flow to it, a rhythm. I didn't read all of it, but it's the entire first chapter. There's the first day, God created, and it was good. There's the second day, God created, and it was good. There's a third day, God created, and it was good. It's got this order, this structure, this flow. Some kind of funny though to think about. It wasn't until the fourth day that God made the sun. Yet somehow there was light illuminating everything in the first day. What was that light and where did it come from? And since we use the sun to measure day in its absence to measure what a night is, it begs the question, what measured the first days before there was ever a sun? Just fun things. I like, to, I, I like these things. I love the Bible. I like to just think about the Bible. That's not that important for our conversation, though. What's more important is, uh, as I said, I love my science classes. My, my eighth grade class in earth science with Miss Weber, it still sticks with me to this day. And the Israelites, so they had their own version of earth science. They might not have taught it as formally as we all go through our, our classes and such, but they had their own concepts about how the earth works based on what they knew and what they could observe. Just like we have our own ideas about what the earth is, how it works, what we've observed, they had theirs. And it's a little different than ours. And I want to show you a picture of what I mean. If you look here on the screen, 
this is an Israelite conception of what the earth looked like. In this uh, version, in this understanding of what Genesis 1 is describing, um, this is what they had in their minds. And if you look, whenever the Bible says in Genesis 1, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the waters from under the vault, from the water above it, um, this is what they're talking about. There was water that lived in the sky, above the sky, and it was separated by this thing called the firmament. If you read uh, some of the older translations of the Bible, it'll say the vault was separated by the firmament. And um, the firmament separated the waters from uh, the, the vault, which is the sky. And then there's also water that was below the earth. And so in the Bible, whenever the worst floods would come up, it would say that the water would come up, uh, open up from the firmament and it would come up from below. Genesis 7 describes Noah's flood in the ark like this. It says, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heavens were opened. That's how Genesis describes what the earth looks like. Also, according to how they understood creation, the sun and the moon and the stars, they all existed inside of the firmament, below the waters from above. This is obviously different from what we now know to be true about having, after having sent satellites and spaceships into the sky, they don't have to break through an expanse of water to get to the stars. But we only know this because of new discoveries. Discoveries that are only possible because of technology that wasn't available to those who were writing the Bible. When they were writing the Bible, they had their observable experiences about creation, and this is what they were picturing. They pictured that when God created the heavens and the earth, this is what he did. This is what it looked like. This story of creation, and within it, God is doing a... a, Activity from afar. God is speaking things into existence, and then they are happening. God says, let there be, and then it was so. God is active, but not present in the activity. This story of creation has this rhythm and order. It's intentional. It's methodical. If you're a type A personality, you probably really resonate with this story of creation because it just makes sense with its structure and such. But then we get to Genesis 2. We have something entirely different. So you can take that off the screen. Because in Genesis 2, it begins by saying this in chapter four, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. This was the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That line signals that we're beginning a different account. This is a different story of all the things. And in this version of creation, we see another side of God's creative nature. In this account, there is no daily order or rhythm to things. There is no, this happened and then it was good. It was, it was first, and the one God makes the human beings before the creeping things and the birds of the air. And in fact, God makes humans and then invites them to participate in creating by naming things. And in this account, God doesn't just speak things into being. God breathes life into the nostrils of the man. God plants a garden. God took the man and put him in the garden. God is among the creation, acting within the world. God is present and doing things and ordering with his own hands. This version of creation often resonates with those creatives among us, the more left the brains, the ones who tend to plan a little less and just go all laissez-faire and see what happens. That's me, you know? Just live and let live. This is why I married somebody who really resonates with Genesis 1. We can compliment each other, right? She likes things to be ordered and clean, and I'm glad she cares about those things. Thank you. 
When we consider these two stories together, though, it paints for us a picture of, of a creator that cannot be conceptualized with our human imaginations. God's activity is more than we can comprehend. I think it's important that we have both of these stories in the Bible because we, can, we remember that the God who created the heavens and the earth is one who can speak things into existence from afar and can get his hands dirty and plant things in the ground. It's a God of order and a God of creativity. God is not left-brained or right-brained. God is not type A or type B. God transcends our categories of humanity because God created all humans and everything else from the biggest to the smallest. God is imminent, meaning that he is above all things. He is over all things. Whatever the farthest star and the farthest galaxy is, God exists beyond that. And God is intimate so close to creation that he could structure the very atoms with his hands. This is what we mean when we say God, the Father Almighty, created the heavens and the earth. We believe that God created all, is in all, and is through all, intimate and imminent. But why is this important? Why is this one of those so essential beliefs that we need to make it a core belief, to put it into the Apostles' Creed? I'd like to answer that for you this morning by reading to you Psalm 121. It's not going to be the screen. I want you to just listen to it. Hear the words of the psalmist. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. The psalmist is describing all the grandest things in creation. The most majestic and magnificent things God has brought into being and and the things that God has called good. And when the psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, when he says, I've seen the sun and the moon, he's naming the greatest things he's ever seen with his own eyes. In one breath, he's saying how amazing and grand these things are. And in the next breath, he says, but my help comes from none of them. These things are amazing. They are magnificent, but they pale in comparison to the one that made them. The creation is wonderful, but it is not the creator. You see, the reason we affirm that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth is so that we don't end up worshiping something less deserving of our praise. So that we don't give ourselves to the creation rather than the creator. That's not to say that the creation is not good that there are great things in this world that we should take care of. I mean, God says later in Genesis 1 that we should keep these things, to steward them, to, to be caretakers of creation. So we do not discard, we do not misuse, we do not abuse creation. But it is the things that are in this world that have been created are not God. Whether it is uh, uh, the, the beautiful sunsets that we love that show us about who God is, or our own houses that, that give us shelter, Sometimes we we worship the things that we make, like money 
or product. Sir, sometimes we worship things that are not the creator. And so in the Apostles' Creed, we say we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the one who created the heavens and the earth, everything that is. And the good news, friends, is that the one who made it all, the one that is more grand and more eminent than the star in the sky, and the one who is as close and as intimate as the very breath that you breathe, he is as, as close as the atoms in your body. The good news is that that means there's nothing too big or too small for God. That means whatever your problems are, whatever your fears are, whatever your worries, none of them are so big that God can't guide you through. None of them are so big that that God is not able to help you tackle them. And also, none of them are so small that God doesn't care. Sometimes we, we think, oh, I don't need to pray about that. It's not important enough to bring to God. There is nothing that God doesn't want us to bring to him in prayer. There's nothing so small that God is not willing to listen if you've got something going on at work, in your family, in your, no matter what it is, it can't be too big for God, and it will never be too small. There's nothing weighing your heart that God is not able to help you overcome. But that also means that as God's creation, he loves us all too, no matter what we think about ourselves, and no matter what the world says about you. If you think of yourself as being so great that you don't need God's help, if you get a little bit too big for your britches, then God still cares about you too. Even if you don't think you need God, that provenient grace is just there already. And, and when you think you are unworthy, in those moments where you don't think that you're enough, that, that nobody cares, when you are so broken, when you are so hurt, when you feel so insignificant or looked over, God is there too, desperately waiting to tell you that you are loved. Whether you are too big for yourself or don't recognize how great you are, God is there. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of the heavens and earth, as a declaration that there is nothing more worthy of our praise and that the one who has made it all is imminent and intimate as close as your very soul. The one who made it all cares enough to be concerned about everything because he made everything. And the one that is greater than our wildest imagination still cares about each one of us temporal small parts on this one planet in this one solar system in a hundred billion galaxies. That should tell you a little bit about who God is and what we believe about the creator of the heavens and the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.